You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motormania with Damien Reed. Yes, it's Motormania, and I'm joined in the studio with Noel Ebden and Shanjado. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Busy times for all of us right now. I, I like the way I say morning and Ibshan says nothing. I'm a man of few words. Still, you need a coffee. He's still got those matchsticks <laughs> holding the eyes open, busily getting ready for the Mila Amelia. Oh, good Lord. Kicking off. That is going to be epic. Oh, don't start him off. Yeah, oh, really we're all looking forward to it. Um, cars we've been driving lately, I'm going to get in first here because, uh, well, it was just an amazing vehicle. Um, it was a, And it's a, it's a dying breed, the Bentley Flying Spur, Ooh. W12. It's the last of the twelve-cylinder engines from uh, from from. So Bentley. a hard day at work then. For you. No, it's been a tough day. I mean, I was go- I was using it to go to busy things, but uh, but I was enjoying my time. Uh, but but I tell you what, one thing that it reiterated my theory that nothing is as elegant or as comfortable or as head-turning as a large luxury saloon in a sea of SUVs. But I, not an SUV, right? A yeah, exactly, saloon. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yep. So, in my mind. You can have all the Rolls Royce Cullinans you want in the world, but nothing turns heads like that flying spur that I had mm. for a few days. Um, an Uber barge. It drives yeah, nicer than an need. SUV yeah. because it's not a compromise. SUV by nature is a compromise. It knows what it is. Yeah, and it's just amazing on-road cruising. So, uh, you know, if you want an SUV, it goes back to my original theory, hire a Land Cruiser for the weekend and then enjoy mm. <laughs> the nice getting yeah. around town. Isn't a Bentayga, Dale's advocate here, the best of both worlds? Well, yeah, we went to a caller on trying to sell his Bentayga before, and I, th- I think so. But, you know, if best of both worlds is still a compromise, isn't it? It's, yep. You're still giving up something, aren't you? And I would rather just have a nice big saloon and then have a, uh, you know, whether it be a Land Cruiser or a Jimny or anything to go in, go out in the, into the desert with. I, mm. And know? keep in mind, compromises for people who have budgetary restrictions. When you're talking about a Bentley, that person has two spaces in his driveway. Exactly. Or her driveway. Yeah. Two yeah. spaces? Yeah, at a minimum. <laughs> at a minimum. <laughs> a minimum. Yeah, yeah. So they're not. They don't have to compromise. That's yeah. Right. yeah. So, so this one. Yeah. I mean, this the the, the car that I had was the Speed, which is the, the mm. quick one. So twenty two inch wheels on it. Um, amazing. It's uh, almost standard these oh, days, isn't it? Yeah. R- ridiculous. But it's um, also it's got the, the contrast stitching in it as well. You got the had a beautiful light interior with a like a cream bone coloured timber dash and tan leather. We're going to put the images up on uh, Dubai Eyes Instagram nice. later on, so you'll be able to see it all there. Um, and it's got the little trick I love with the center console that spins around. So you've got the infotainment screen, mm. which I don't like on mm. any car, but it's a necessary evil yep. in, in today's world. But then, because at night it glares, it's quite bright. So you can flip it around to show either three very elegant analog dials, which I do like, or you can flip around again and just have just a straight timber with a nice inlay it's across like the, it. Like the old Bond um, number plate. Like the number plate, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Wow, and it's um, so cool. Beautiful car. But, uh, Lots of people are just like, what are they talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. I'd I know. go with the analog clocks, I uh, think. That's what I had. I had yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. You and I from the same breed, <laughs> I think. Yeah. But for a car this size, I mean, it, 0 to 100 kilometers an hour, 3.8 seconds from the 6-litre twin turbo. For the executive W12 on the move. Somewhere. 333 kilometers an hour. <laughs> just, just, just remarkable. For when that executive is late for a meeting. <laughs> when they're trying to get away from one. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's got the it's got Bentley's forty eight volt electronic anti roll system, so it does away with roll bars. And it was developed for the Bentayga initially, but it's been put out into their other cars now. So it's all it's all done by zeros and ones 
keeps wow. the car flat at the back. That's Amazing cool. stuff. And I'll tell you what, for a car that big, because it's all-wheel drive, of course, that's one of the Bentley key points, but it's rear-wheel steer as well. So all-wheel all steering. All-wheel four, four wheel steer. And it, like a GT3 911 on a Bentley. Yes, and it is, but it gets you out of tight spots. I live in a place where you've always got to take a double take to get around one particular corner as you spiral down the, 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 uh, the, the ramps. And it was getting around in shorter turning circles than a than an Nissan Tito. I was going. I was just about to say that'll help with because a car the car that size. Also parking, has a yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. in case you need to get out of the house. Um, <laughs> it also has now been introduced. Uh, they have a smartphone app, so you've got features where you can remotely lock the car or check the lock, check the car rather, see if it's locked. Remind yourself where you parked it, which is great for Dubai Mall. Um, mm-hmm. You can check the windows with their up or down, the fuel levels. And if someone's tried to, you know, move it, it will tell you <laughs> without your permission. So the alarm goes off or the car's been moved, um, and and it tells you it tells you as well. So that was pretty cool. Uh, there's another version. Now that, that was a Speed Twelve I drove, but there is an Edition Twelve which is um, is here in very limited numbers, and that's to represent the end of the line for the W Twelve. Is it special? It is. I mean, you've still got that 630 or 626 horsepower engine, which is great. Um, 900 newton metres of torque. Brilliant. But, um, 900. But, <laughs> but what I love about the Edition 12, which which obviously you get you only get when you buy the car, is you receive a commemorative scale model 12-cylinder engine that you can, you can have all those cast from the actual... You're nerding out here. I know, but it's cast from the engine like, block. Yeah. It's from the real engine block. <laughs> And it's in a presentation box, and this is like, what a what a party trick. But yeah, but that imagine that party, you'll just be the only person at it, because who wants to let's hang out with, like, well, oh, but, have you see my engine block? I can see you two guys, your eyes are lighting up, so you'd be at the party. Absolutely. I'll have taken the car while you're looking at the engine block. There you go. Yeah, yeah. so that, that was... No, you that was, you'd be uh, hanging on the front chit-chatting. <laughs> well, yes, true. <laughs> so that, that was, the, uh, that was the, 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 the last of the 12-cylinder flying spurs. Getting around town with the last now, for now. The last for now. I think there'll be more. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. think they're going to extend it a little bit. Of um, now, Shan, you're driving something very similar. How do I follow with my, that up? With my ironic face on. <laughs> from the Bentley. I can have an ironic <laughs> face on radio. <laughs> oh goodness me! From the Bentley Flying Spur, we dive through the thicket of vehicles on new vehicles into the uh, majesty of the Honda Pilot. Oh. <laughs> I was due we to get land. one. I think you took my car. I was due to get one. Yeah, I think I did, actually. That was <laughs> I don't think you should be worried, too worried. You've been yeah, driving the, the right. Bentley. Yeah. We land through the humdrum into the majesty of the Honda Pilot, which is actually <laughs> um, much better looking. The previous car looked a bit like a bus. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Yep. It looked like a minivan. The new one looks much more like an SUV. It's pretty much the same car, but they've restyled the body completely. So it looks much more chunky and aggressive. I don't know why a Honda Pilot needs to look aggressive, but this one does. Being a big box, though, because it's very boxy, which is boxy is in, right? Super practical. The mm. most practical Honda I've ever seen. It is just a Volvo estate made by Honda. Um, <laughs> basically. Brilliant. Um, three and a half liter V6, uh, usual, I think, nine speed auto. Very good on fuel, like 10 liters per hundred. So really good on fuel. Well, that is good um, for a big car like that. Mm. But it behaves like a four-cylinder turbo. I don't know why they didn't just put in one of their magnificent four-cylinder turbo engines. I'm not quite sure because a V6 is a bit old-fashioned now. Uh, but it's fine. It's talky. It gets moving, etc. It is basically, if you look at the price, which is about 175,000 dirhams at your local dealer in the UAE, starting at 175, right? So that pretty much puts it line ball with the Toyota Highlander, mm. which is the same sort of car. A big family SUV, practical, gets beaten up, goes everywhere, some off-road ability, but really sensible. The Toyota has some advantages. It has a hybrid system, so it's going to be even better on gas. But the Pilot's nicer to drive. 
very very nice car to just be in traffic it's not very stressful it's got so much room etc i only have really one thing i didn't like about it and that it's running the old infotainment system not the one that's in the new accord we'll talk about mm-hmm. because the new one has is google based and it's much slicker the old one is good but it is the old system other than that it's a great car Okay. Wow. Maybe Very that's nice. what. Maybe that's why they can keep it under two hundred. That's yeah. a, that's a pretty. It goes good, over two hundred. Th- if you yeah. Want yeah. To. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a that's a pretty good one seventy five. Is a pretty good price for a car that size. I mean, families, yeah. right? They're on budgets now. So yeah, yeah, that is a car yeah. that works hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we had people in the first hour talking about cars in that price range. What can I get? So that's great mm. for to add to the list of of things in there. So um, oh, you could buy a new Land Cruiser. <laughs> you could buy a new Land Cruiser. <laughs> well, the Prado I think will be yeah. around the two hundred mark when that comes out. Yeah, we always end up in the same place. Though, I know, don't we? Language. Don't we? <laughs> yeah. Well, well I'll tell you what. <laughs> after the break, we're going to uh, we're, we're going to deviate a little bit. We're going to talk about motorsport, and because uh, it's uh, it's that time of the season, a lot of stuff's going on. Noel, you're talking about the FIM World Supercross here in Abu Dhabi oh, last yeah, week. Yeah. We've got uh, Formula One coming up soon. We've got UAE Domestic uh, Championships at the Dubai Autodrome. We've got yep. the Baja that kicked off last night, uh, and uh, Brett Crusher Murray is in the studio to talk about the world's biggest automotive website uh, speed cafe in town and motorsport in the region so do stick around all that and a whole lot more coming up straight after this you're listening to the uae's number one talk radio station this is motor mania on dubai i 103.8 welcome back to motor mania i'm damien reed and i'm joined of course by in Jado and noel ebden in the studio and uh now we're talking all things motorsport so uh Helping us to uh, to do that is uh, is a, a guy I've known for a long time, Brett Crusher Murray, the founder of Speed Cafe, the world's biggest independent motorsport website, and motorsport entrepreneur, IndyCar team owner, sponsorship consultant, author of "You Can't Make That Stuff Up," his autobiography, and uh, joins us in the studio. Good morning, Crush. Damo, how are you, mate? Good to see you, man. Good, to, good to see you in the in the studio. Great to be here. Good to see you in uh, in Dubai. You're passing through. Um, it's a long list of things, isn't it? Oh, I haven't even started. <laughs> That's one of the stuff we can talk about. Right. So, yeah, yeah, we've we, 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 we got to be careful. Um, so as much as you can, man, tell tell us about yourself. You, we're not, we, we both start off as journalists going way back, but you've, you've branched out into the entrepreneurial side of things, the business side of things, the motorsport. What have you been up to? Yeah, I primarily is um, based in Australia. So as you know, started in the journalism game and then uh, started my own media and marketing company. And got involved majorly in events, uh, mainly the Service Paradise IndyCar race to start with. I ran that for about 16 years. Um, the Bathurst 1000 in Australia, which is one of the great enduros of the world. And um, teams and events ended up in the US, ran an IndyCar team with uh, Pac West, with uh, Guzman and Blundell and Scott Dixon. We won the Indy Lights Championship. He's gone on to obviously do some great things and mm-hmm. um, ended back up over there with Marcus Ambrose in NASCAR the deal together with Ford over there and then uh, came back to Australia and sort of niche in the market for speedcafe.com. We developed that 14 years ago and uh, developed it into the, one of the world's leaders in regards to numbers. We did up 62 million pages last year. So it's a great, a great reputation internationally. And uh, yeah, so I've just come a bit of a break. So I'm here uh, just uh, checking out and hanging out in the region and um, I've always wanted to explore this part of the world. And um, here I am. Yeah, it's something that uh, Speed Cafe, even though it's 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 not here, but uh, people like Ed Jones, who uh, who started his racing in, in karting here, he, he would have been Rookie of the Year in Indianapolis 500 if it wasn't for a guy called yeah. Fernando Alonso, who just happened to have his first race Who's there. But, he but, went all right. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he's done okay since then. Um, but so has Ed, raced at Le Mans. He's done uh, in Indy Lights, Indy Cars, yeah. Sports Cars, Daytona. Um, but he's a regular. He, he's you know he's he's on that site mm. nearly every day. 
Um, but in this region, I mean, motorsport in the region, we're just getting into the season now. Um, we just had the launch of the, the Baja Rally last night. You were down there. We've got the Dubai Autodromes is launching its domestic season today. So we're going to nip out there after this and, uh, and, and have a look at that. What, what are your thoughts on what you've seen so far about uh, local racing in the, in the region? Oh, I think it's quite amazing, man. When you look at, you know, you've got four Formula One Grand Prix and possibility of, you know, that extending as well. And, um, you know, we came in board and we just sort of, you know, the Supercross last weekend down mm. in Abu Dhabi, um, that was created by some Australian guys. They invited me down. That was yeah. a terrific event. Nathan Prendergast, who's done F1 TV and, and Supercars, yeah. Yeah, so we went down there and uh, they basically sold the place out and put on a hell of a show. And then... Um, you know, uh, the Dubai International Baja last night, as you said, uh, terrific, you know, amazing local support. Um, Bin Salam is there and, you know, obviously the local support from the, the sponsorship you've got here um, through some of those major brands and that Festival City is just a, you know, wonderful venue for something like that. And we watched the prologue last night and uh, um, we actually sponsor a, a guy, Andrew Houlihan, who's uh, unfortunately did his knee he's running second in the well he's leading the veterans but uh chance gonna have to drop that round and obviously the last round in jordan was cancelled so uh he's probably gonna end up second in the championship um mm. so we'll be there to see he's getting get his trophy tomorrow night which is another nice reason to be here but as you said we go to the autodrome and have a look at the domestic season kicking off and the porsche event next week and a few other things so you know there's been an amazing amount of stuff happening while i'm here it's not it didn't sort of it wasn't sort <laughs> good, of planned good weekend that way. to come over yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's worked out pretty good you've come over at the, at the right time uh noel you're at the uh, you're at the supercross last week your supercross masters last week what, yep. what are your thoughts on all that bonkers yeah completely crazy, crazy i mean that is a tight i mean etihad arena is a big place but when you try and put a motocross track inside it or a supercross track sorry i mean how they fitted it in there, I have no idea. I mean, the guys were. I noticed. I mean, I, I raced motocross back in the day, so I know how hard it is. And mm. they, the guys were on the brakes in the air yeah. in order to stop <laughs> to, to, to get bring the, the nose the, down. Yeah, to yeah, bring the nose yeah. and to get around the, the corner, especially um, the big tabletop they had in the middle, which was pretty spectacular. But it was also quite controversial. There was lots of um, there was lots of brake blocking going on. The, the guys, elbows were yeah, out. Oh, the <laughs> elbows, it was, it was full on. It, it was, was fantastic. Yeah. And then it was funny because I was actually in the media. Um, room afterwards for the uh, after race yep. uh, conference with, and uh, there was some proper arguments going on in there. It, was, it wasn't like F one <laughs> with everyone just mentioning the sponsors and touching. I thought the that cab was going to flare up. I was uh, like, yeah. <laughs> coming in offered another guy tissues because he was having a whinge. And, That's right. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I thought, WWF style going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's be it, great. Was, it was pretty funny. But the, the um, one of the things quickly to mention was that um, I thought it was fantastic of the organisers to let the local motocross kids on their 85s have a race yeah, the, in between the actual supercross races. The, the, the uh, Pee Wee World Championships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that was and, great. And one little kid fell and hurt himself, and uh, not badly, but uh, got up and sort of was limping off, and he got the biggest round of applause of the night as he walked off. It was great. It was nice to see. You know, always get the kids involved, start at the bottom and work up, you know. Yeah, uh, great good. stuff, great yeah. stuff. Uh, Crush, now you, you're intrinsically involved with, uh, with as you said, off, off the top there, V8 supercars. Now, they, they visited this region some time ago now. They raced in Abu Dhabi. They raced in Bahrain. Still a lot of uh, – there's a lot of uh, – uh, there's, there's, people still talk about that and still, you know, enjoyed that time, but particularly amongst the, uh, the, the, the local people, mm. you know, the, the Arab population, because the Chevrolet Lumina was sold here. Yep. Um, well, in the, the SS sold like crazy, didn't it? Mm. Yeah, sure yeah, did, yeah. and the Coupe, yeah. Um, so tell us what it was like working with, uh, working with the Middle East 
on such a big project back then? What was, how, how did that differ? Well, it was quite interesting because it was sort of like an unknown region, really, for a lot of people. You know, Australia's a long way away, right? Mm. And the only other international event that a supercars had done outside of New Zealand was China in 2005, as they did as a one-off event, never went back. Um, and ended up in Bahrain for a couple of years. And then they, the third year, um, it was supposed to be in November, they put it through to February and it ran back to back with Abu Dhabi, which was great. But the... The way that the, everyone was embraced here by the by the local fans and the people who turned out, and the, you know, obviously the facilities are fantastic at, at mm. both both those venues, um, was terrific. And it's still now the conversation. You know, when we talk about international events. The guys still talk about the experiences they had here and what they did. And they they had them on military boats out in the Australian Navy, and they had you know all the different things they did. You know, obviously the traditional. Uh, Riding the camels out in the in the sand and yeah. in the overnight stays and all that type of stuff was all terrific for them, and then you got a new wave of uh, young riders coming through, uh, wrong young drivers coming through that I'm sure would one day like to you know re-experience that in this part of the world, and I think that you know as the motorsports developed in this part of the world with you know the development of those Grand Prix and and people become more a favourite, more professional, the depth of talent here in regards not only riders and drivers but organizationally mm. uh and the level of sponsorship and the support of the families all those things uh add up to you know a great future ahead for motorsport in this region i think yeah i remember talking to uh craig Lowndes at the time who was a who, who had been the, the holden star and he just switched to the opposition to ford then and the anonymity that they had over here was that no one really knew who they were so we had a, an event at the autodrome and I, I bumped into him literally in the in the elevator I went, well, hello you're here because yeah. i've just come out to see what's going on i said look um we'll grab some lunch with the with with a, a friend of mine at the time who was running the general motors account and he goes well i'm now on the blue team but i can't i said look no one's going to see it's fine so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we yeah it'll be fine <laughs> But in terms of like drivers and and these kind of high high profile people, as I said, you've you've mentored the likes of, of Scotty McLaughlin and uh, Scott Dixon. You've helped uh, Oscar Piastri, who's now one of the columnists on on Speed Cafe, uh, doing great things with McLaren in Formula One. Jack Doohan, you've seen him rise from a from a from a cub uh, to to F one with Alpine um, and working with his family. Obviously, five time uh, five hundred cc champion Mick Doohan. What does it take mentally to to for these competitors to to hit the top flight? What what sort of sacrifices and how how does that brain space work out? Oh, there's no doubt. There's there's focus. There's a difference between a champion and a very very good driver or rider. There's a, there is a there is a gap, and that mainly is total focus. Um, they've got to be selfish. There's no doubt about that. Um, unfortunately, some uh, some competitors. Uh, become more selfish than they need to at certain stages of their careers, and that sometimes costs them uh, direction. But um, ironically, I actually watched Jack at the Jack doing at the World Karting Championships in Bahrain mm. the weekend that Mark Weber had his last race with Porsche in the WEC series, and uh, Mick was there, and and Oscar was there. Actually, the first time I met Oscar was at that event. So Mick said, "I'll come over and we'll watch Jack." So we went over and just stood on the hill and watched him go around. And, Actually, had a bit of an engine problem, and he, he had a bit of a blow up. He had a bit of his old man's temper back then. He's calmed down. He's calmed down a little bit. His uh, dad had a so. temper, really. He did. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's amazing. Mick Mick uh, was one of those Only guys. Only the media at the time. Yeah. Well, the day he stopped riding, Mick became the world's best bloke. But before mm. that, he was you know quite a difficult uh, difficult dude. But that there's an example of the focus. Yeah. He took. You know, we've become quite good friends, and in, you know, he's an amazingly connected and passionate about the sport and you know he headed up karting in australia which he did it on his own time and effort and brought you that's know, right a lot yeah of, uh, he was in charge of the cik yeah and, and ran the whole thing and um you know that's 
He, I mean, his time is amazingly valuable. He did that. He didn't get any. There was nothing in it for him. He, yeah. he did it as a as, as a returning favour to the sport. So that that's very important. Uh, someone like Scott McLaughlin, who run three supercar championships, um, you know, sort of been associated with with him since he was like thirteen years old. Now he's winning IndyCar races, and you know, I, he's funny enough. Um, Roger Penske's uh, favourite boy right now. He is, mm. and Roger, you know, um, I remember having a conversation with Roger before, uh, you know, Roger had the V8 team in Australia, which he, Scott went and drove for, and, and um, Roger said to me, what do you think? And I said, oh, he's, he's the real deal. And he turned to me and he said, uh, he's as good as Rick. And really? He, he Rick was talking Mears. Rick Mears, yeah. who is his golden boy. He still yeah. works for the Penske organisation. So the day he mentioned that to me, I was like, oh, this is serious. This is proper. So now he's obviously over there running IndyCar. Um, I actually spoke to him on the way home from um, from the bikes last night. Um, I didn't need something to do in the in the Uber on the way back, and the timeline fitted. So <laughs> I rang him. He now lives in Charlotte. So we had a good conversation for about 40 minutes, and we're talking about, you know, and he said he was, you know, a little bit bored in between. So he's doing he's doing some tests, and he's doing some, some sim work, but... You know, like all those guys, all they want to do is race. You yeah. know, if you're a racer, you're a racer, and all you want to do is get behind the car. So they're doing karting, they're doing sim, they're doing all that stuff, but nothing, you know, is like being behind the wheel of a car and going racing and being competitive and getting those urges out and being able to do all those things. And yeah. the more you can do that, that's why a lot of these guys have their own go-karts and all those type of things, just to have, you know, have seat time. And yeah. it's just so important. Yeah. Mm. Well, look, stick around, uh, Crush. We've got a lot more coming up after this. We're going to talk about uh, the guys at Yas Marina Circuit, their recovery team. I was with them uh, getting ready for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, and uh, we were talking to Garrett Jones, who leads the team out there. We're also uh, talking a whole lot more with Petronas, um, who sponsor Formula One, of course, and uh, their involvement with uh, developing oils for electric vehicles. Yeah, you want to listen to that one. Stick around. We've got a whole lot more Motormania coming up straight after this. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motormania with Damien Reed. Yes, welcome back to Motormania. I'm Damien Reed, and I'm joined in the studio by In the Shanjado, Noel Ebden, and uh, we're still joined by Brett Crusher Murray, Murray, the founder of Speed Cafe, the world's biggest independent motorsport website. Uh, now we're getting ready for, uh, for for Abu Dhabi. The Formula One Grand Prix is uh, is arriving in town very soon. And uh, so I paid a visit to the uh, to the, the the circuit out there this week, the Yasmina Circuit, or a few weeks ago. The recovery team is preparing for the Grand Prix. It's going to be on the twenty fourth to the twenty sixth of November. And uh, Garant Jones, who leads the team, now he's in charge of the team that gets the cars off the track. Gets the when you see the the accidents happening, they get the recovery trucks out there, move them as quickly as possible to uh, to get them out of the way. Now. Uh, the Asperina Circus is one of the very few circuits where they actually do training in the lead-up to it. And uh, so it was good to take part and uh, and have a listen and have a chat with uh, Garan. Pre-season, we start beginning to mid-August, depending on when the season's scheduled to start. And we like to get at least 10 weeks of training in. So it's uh, a two-hour session on a Wednesday night normally, every Wednesday throughout August, September, and into October, leading right up to when the season starts. If we can tag in a few extras on the end, we do. So like this year, we're actually getting 14 weeks in of training. We've got a team of about 36, 38 people. We start off with getting back into the swing of it because we've all had a break since March when the season ended. By week five, we start to drop in scenarios which are based on incidents from last season. We'll set up an incident and we'll rerun it with the, the wrecks that we've got and we'll do the recoveries again. I intend to bring a tape measure as well. I'll set it up before the lads arrive and I'll actually make it so it's a boundary road, but I'll make it narrower. So I'll make it harder than it is in reality for them. And this tonight is supposed to be a bit of fun. So they're racing against each other as teams. But the actual mentality of it is, although they're racing against each other as teams, that would never happen on the track, obviously. Mm. 
but you're against the clock. Yeah. So it's all about clearing the track as quick as possible. We see the yellow flag situation come out, safety car comes out. That's when your guys really get to work. I'm super impressed in it's a, it's a real world situation of seeing how you get to work under pressure against the clock. Be as fast as you can, but safety absolutely key in making sure that everyone does everything by the right process and everyone gets back safely. So, so you can also see that tonight. So I've started dropping. So I, normally about week seven, I drop the radios in as well to the, to the training because then it simulates that the lads are on track with headphones on. They've got the radio going continuously in their ear during a recovery. So although they're not talking on it, they're listening. So that's continuously there. So me talking with some banter and all on the radios tonight, they've all got those radios. They can hear me saying, oh, this team's ahead of you by a minute. Or they can hear all this so it's for the pressure it keeps the pressure on them so although i want them to go faster they've also got to think of the safety all the time so mm. it's fast and safe it's it's there's a, a fine line between <laughs> them you know and it's a great mix of people because it's all is a volunteer process so everyone's here because they want to be here which is a great thing how do you get involved if you want to come down and join your team so, so normally people approach us directly but also they come up through the ranks from emzo from the track so i've got the four filipino lads that are here tonight are actually ex-intervention marshals so they've got 400 hours plus on the track as flag marshals and intervention work their way up and they joined us towards the end of last season this is their first season training with us so other people there's this two of the crew tonight they are brand new to the track this year the, the process we go through is you do a full year if you're brand new like that have never been on the track you do a full year as crew and nothing else yeah, amazing stuff. Those those guys do an incredible job. They're all volunteers, and uh, but they don't just do Formula One. They do touring cars, GT racing, Formula Four, other races, and they also do uh, F1 races in other parts of the world. So uh, a couple of the guys were were in Brazil last weekend, getting ready for that. They're in Miami. Uh, they also do the reason uh, races around the reason region in uh, Azerbaijan as well. Um, and uh, do an amazing job. So big thanks to uh, to Garant Jones and Tim Ansell who put me onto that and uh, and got me down there to uh, to hang out with these guys. Um, I asked them why don't they get paid, and they don't actually. They said I said you guys should be getting paid for this, and they said no, we actually would rather not because we want to be there because we want to be there. We don't want to be there because there's just no time to um, you know to to worry about who's getting paid more or doing whatever. Just get the job done, and they're proper enthusiasts. So and crush these guys too. They'll. They were trained initially, going way back to 2004 and five, by what's now Motorsport Australia Cams back then, and they did a a, a a share situation. They now go down to to the Australian Grand Prix and do some work in Melbourne as well. Yeah, there's a lot of cl- collaboration between uh, you know, a lot of the organisations around the world, and Australia sort of led the way in, in a lot of that stuff. Mm. Uh, but I think the volunteer bases, I mean, they're sort of the unsung heroes. It's an overused term, but you know, if we were to pay those guys and pay volunteers who are involved in some of those major events, it just becomes financially unviable to be able to, to run some of those events. So you yeah. got these guys who are passionate about it. They stand out there, and especially in this part of the world, they're standing out there in the heat and, you know, all those things. Um, and if it wasn't for those guys, there's, you know, this... These events aren't going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. Also, there's also a risk involved. I mean, you know, mm, there's been marshals. Um, unfortunately, we've lost marshals yeah. over the years and stuff, and they do it for free. I mean, it's uh, they do it for passion. Well, and yeah. and that's and they're the first to sort of say we want to do it as a volunteer, which is which is great. Yeah. Um, because I said I said you guys should be getting paid. And they said no, we'd we'd rather it this way mm. because we want to be there. We enjoy being there, and we're trained. We do it properly, and we're not there for the for the wrong reasons, which is which is the most important thing. Yeah. Well, they also get a pretty good view of what's going on on track, you know. Yeah. So that's part of the highlight, right? There's a thrill of these guys going past them at 300 kilometres an hour. and But when stuff goes wrong, they've got to be ready because, yeah. you know, obviously it's a pretty hostile environment when it all turns yeah. pear-shaped. Yeah. It's a bit of a lottery as well, isn't it? Because you just never know. Your corner might be the one 
corner that weekend that gets nothing. Exactly. Or it could be the one yeah. that gets everything. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I think I'd so. be really interested to hear from the guys themselves because these are people who do office jobs. They yeah. do regular jobs like everybody else. Well, and on the, the weekends, they get to go out there mm. and be a hero on the track. Well, Garantz has, has a day job. And that was, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's down there doing other things as well. And they love it. They get down there. Uh, amazing. Now, just flipping things now, um, still a little bit motorsport related. Petronas Oil Company, they sponsor Mercedes-Benz Formula One yeah. team. They've been involved in World Rally Championships, touring cars, GT racing, the whole lot. Now, they're looking at the world of electric vehicles and realising that as a no longer call themselves an oil company or a lubricant company that they need, need to uh, adapt and change. So they've got a, a, their research laboratories in Turin in Italy where I went over to, uh, to have, have a look at them testing clean fuels for racing cars but also oils for electric vehicles and a range of fluids especially designed for the EV market. Uh, why they're in Turin being a Malaysian government company is that they bought out Fiat Olio which was the Fiat oil brand going way back. Mm, okay. They merged with a company sense. called Celenzia in the in the early 2000s mm. and then it became Petronas. So uh, they're using the, uh, the, the, the Fiat facility, the former Fiat facilities over there in Turin. So uh, uh, I met up with uh, J- uh, James Mark of Petronas. Now he, in this chat he mentions uh, these oils a lot, uh, OEM. Now it means, for those who are, who are listening, it means original equipment manufacturing. So uh, we, we tend to get carried away a little bit of the jargon if you're on the inside, but OEM is uh, Mark's talking about the uh, the car companies, the manufacturers, and that sort of thing. So I was curious to find out, as an oil an oil and lubricant business, why they're moving into and how they're moving into electric vehicles. And this is what he had to say. It's a bit the elephant in the room, you know that you know the oil and gas companies is the bad cop, but actually we we play an, and want to play an important role in, in the transition. And how is because the specific fluids that we develop for electric vehicles can help the efficiency both of the drive unit and transmission and of the battery. So if you put these two together, you can have some significant savings in terms of um, power, and therefore you have an extend you can have an extended range, or you can have a smaller e-motor to cover the same range. You've got transmissions, you've got uh, anything that generates heat needs to be cooled, I guess. So I guess that's part of it with the battery cooling as well. Of course. One of the big issues with, with batteries is that when the temperature is above 30 degrees or below or below zero degrees, I know that's probably not an important one in, in Dubai, but with these two conditions, you lose very quickly around 30% of the charge of the battery. And our fluids can help to, to reduce that. Is this a, a fluid like you have in the old gearboxes where you have to go and change them and change them? Or is this a, it's, it's a for-life thing or is it, it needs to be serviced? Most OEMs say that it's for life, but for life means around 70,000 kilometres. So depending on how much you drive and how long you keep your vehicle, you will need to, to change the fluid. Yeah, now, of course, we're all chasing carbon neutrality. Where do you see Petronas in, in the future of alternative fuels, such as e-fuels and biofuels? Do you see that as being a a long-term answer as well as uh, electricity. There is not a one-stop solution here. So electric vehicles is one solution, probably will be the solution for cars, but then you have you know, heavy-duty trucks and, and other applications as well. So uh, Petronas Group is actually investing into biofuels. They've signed a memorandum with another national oil company and they will build a biorefinery in the coming three to four years at, in Malaysia. This will supply and provide a reliable uh, supply source for biofuel in the, in the, in the coming years to come. So that's how Petronas is investing in terms of fuel. So one interesting takeaway from that, he said that car manufacturers or EV manufacturers say that it's it's for life. 
right? Mm. The oil in the transmission is for life. As an oil, as a lubricant manufacturer, he's saying a life equals seventy thousand kilometres. So it depends on whether he's trying to uh, trying to sell you some coolant or mm. fluids, or whether right. it, that's the actual case in order to get you into a car and think yeah. you've got a car for life. That's three years of Abu Dhabi runs. Yeah. Yeah. So that's hardly the lifespan of a vehicle, <laughs> is it? 10 minutes so, in my Land Cruiser. Right? Yeah, exactly. Again, this is a nonsense because all the manufacturers have been doing it in the last 15 years. The Europeans kind of start first in this mm. filled for life. A lot of ZF transmissions you see are filled for life. It doesn't work. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't work. Not in the so heat. I also asked him, how has motorsport helped uh, Petronas develop their products for the road? We always say that it's from track to road uh, in terms of uh, the lubricants and the fuels, uh, basically all the fluids in the car. But what I think is interesting to know is that we've just renewed, or Petronas has just renewed the partnership with AMG Formula One from 2026 onwards. And that was done on the basis and because the new regulations will be very strict in terms of, of sustainable fuels and, and fluids. That pushes our technology capabilities to the limit and beyond and positions us as a, a key player in, in, the, in the green transition. So everything that we will deploy for the Formula One car, we will then deploy on the road as well. You've touched on a very good point. 2026 the new engine regulations come in in Formula 1. It's going to be what we understand. It'll still be a hybrid formula, combustion engine for sure, but it's attracted the likes of Honda and Audi, Volkswagen Group as well to come back into it. Where do you see, in terms of Formula 1, going down that path of, of continuing to develop the combustion engine with a hybrid component, how that is impacting the automotive industry, whether it be manufacturers or people like yourself, lubricant manufacturers? The combustion engine will not disappear from today to tomorrow. That's what people tend to think but that won't happen at all. Developing alternative sources uh, and sustainable sources that you can combust is, is key. Uh, I mean, in Germany, they're very keen on, on e-fuels. In Asia, they're more key on biofuels. So I think that will it will still be the OEM that will be driver in this case, but to, working together with some players like, like Petronas in, in the market. Yeah, so James Mark from uh, Petronas. Interesting uh, conversation about Electric uh, lubricants for electric vehicles, but also motorsport, and he believes, as a lot of the people have been saying, that um, that there's plenty of life in the combustion engine yet. So, because uh, no one's been saying that on this show for a, <laughs> about two years, so, finally but, people are listening. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'd be amazing how much way we have with people. It's actually, yeah. become more, the world. It's yeah. become more relevant now, hasn't it? Like. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of fibs being told for some time. Yeah, by manufacturers saying, "Oh, we're developing this, we're developing that." It, they'd really hit a roadblock fifteen years ago, and it's just a marketing deal for them to be involved and to go racing. Yeah, the only ones that were really doing any development were the lubricant companies and maybe the tyre companies and a few component, maybe electrics, a few component who they were the ones winning. Now we're going back to this hybrid situation, and there actually is some things to be learnt from the manufacturers in those spaces, and I think that whole that whole um, area of um, e-fuels and biofuels, all those things, just fascinating how that's going to yeah. how that's going to roll out in the next in a short time, that's not necessarily a long time. It's it's going to be incredible, and uh, yeah, really looking forward to seeing how the, how that plays out. Uh, so we're going to change tack again after the break. We've got uh, we've got a survey out there, and uh, I'm going to ask you guys: Do you know what the buttons in your car do? Do you know what the symbols mean on the buttons? Because a surprising number of people think they mean a whole lot of different things. So there's a survey that uh, found out that many motorists yeah are a little bit confused when they climb behind the wheel of their car. That's coming up next. I'm Damien Reed, and this is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. 
Yes, welcome back to Motor Mania. I'm Damien Reid and I'm joined in the studio by Ibn Shanjado, Noel Edlin and Brett Crusher-Murray in the studio. Now, the question we asked just before we went into the break was, do you know what all the buttons do on your car? Noel, you just told a story about the lifting the hood of your 911 mm. off air. Yeah. <laughs> There is a button for the front, by the way. If ever you have a 911 and it's got an electric hood, there is a little loop in the front left um, vent. And if you pull it, it opens it if your battery's flat. Just a little bit of Porsche owner. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Imtashan Auto Trader found out that uh, 41% of drivers don't understand the purpose of a window lock button when shown the picture. Is that something you can re- you, you would you would go, yeah, that'd be about right from your experience? I still can't find it at this age. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really that obvious. Unless it says window lock, you're sitting... Sometimes a pictograph doesn't help. Sometimes just looking, hang on, is that the door lock, the window lock, whatever. Sometimes just lock window... Like, but it depends. I I read words. Some people like pictures, so it depends what you how your brain set up. Look, I put the upside to it. At least it's better to have the buttons there than to not. Unlike the BMW system, where you wave your finger in the air to get oh, the radio yeah, yeah. dial. That's very funny. Don't, don't even That's get me go. started on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the interesting one was the um, the Maserati that we've all driven mm. um, that had the electric door button to open yes. the door, but yeah. underneath yes, it, yes. but underneath it, it had a normal door. The MC twenty. Yeah. No, yeah, the yellow. Yeah, and but you had. Oh no, no, the the uh, the, the, the SUV. Yeah, yes, the SUV. Yes, yeah, yeah. You had to press the button, yeah. but then underneath it, it had to have a handle by law. So what's the point in having the button? But yeah, anyway, well, we're, we're getting off track here, well, aren't we? Le- yeah. Less than one in three drivers know that the auto button on the dash maintains a certain temperature in the car. Um, this is according to Auto Traders survey. Um, the rest believe that it starts the vehicle automatically, um, or that it helps with driving in autopilot mode. <laughs> 28 nice. <laughs> do, do, do they then get in the back of the car and have a sleep? What's Look, going on here? Twenty. This is a twenty-eight percent of drivers know that the snowflake button turns on the car's air conditioning. Mm. So that's less than a third of people. Um, I mean, just just ridiculous. We got the thoughts of, of uh, Phil Clark, who is a uh, road safety expert on this one. Hardly surprising. Vehicle manufacturers are putting more and more gadgets and accessories in vehicles. So I guess it's inevitable that some people are going to be unfamiliar with what is available, particularly if they don't read the handbook when they first buy a vehicle. I think there's a responsibility on car sales personnel as well to make sure that customers are familiar with the various accessories and controls and switches and things in cars. Because there's a real risk here that somebody might inadvertently turn off a safety system accidentally, which could compromise vehicle safety. So it's important that people do familiarise themselves. It's the same with car hire companies. Generally, they just give you the key. They don't take you through the features of the vehicle. And again, that means you've got people jumping into vehicles and having no idea whatsoever what the vehicle has. I mean, I had a guy, this is who who, uh, came up to me one day and said, my car's telling me to stop to have a cup of tea. And I said, what? And this is before Mercedes introduced the, <laughs> after three hours, the cup yeah, of tea yeah, light comes yeah. on saying, look, take a break. I said, it can't do that. It can't do that. He says, the light's on, staying. So I went and had a look at it and it's low oil. It's the, uh, it's the oil can with the over- overheating oil can. You've got to stop straight away, seriously. <laughs> Uh, I mean, look, who, who buys a new car and reads the manual? Everyone get, buys a new car and goes around all their friends' houses showing the new car to their friends. Nobody sits and reads the manual, right? No. But also, no. most... Hang on, I used to read uh, yeah, well, uh, Hang on, hang on. <laughs> Present yeah, company. Amongst yeah, us, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. um, but also, as well, most car dealers that I've been in, the, peop- the person who sells you the car doesn't know what the buttons do either. No. It's a training, no. it's a training issue, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but also, too, there's, there's the... the the less you know, the less you're going to ask, True. and that, and we find that with even with press cars, sometimes they're like, 
don't tell them much about it. And mm. if you can find out what it is, that's great. But uh, yeah. yeah, leave it at that. Um, now, Abby also um, has uh, we've been asking other motorists about this as well. So uh, Abby chipped in as well. You know that little um, button on the trunk to open it? It took me four years to figure out where that was and how to open my trunk. Four whole years. And it was actually a friend who was riding in that car for the first time who helped me open it. That was embarrassing. So I don't blame Abby on that one because I'll, I'll throw one to you and 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 you guys have, have driven the mm. Lamborghini Gallardo and the and the, yep. the Huracane. Yeah. How long did it take you to find the fuel flap? Uh, I had a very embarrassing <laughs> half an hour in a petrol station <laughs> trying to fill the damn car with three guys crawling all over it, and eventually we found it. Yeah. 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 It took me three days. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, <laughs> I gave the car back. <laughs> <laughs> Completely the, empty. The ultimate well, divide thing. Sorry, yeah. can't fill it up. You can have the car back now. On the right. back of a tilt tray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one kilometre left range. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and finally, Eamon uh, also chipped in with his thoughts. I know most of the buttons in my car and what they do, but there's a lot of like features and sub menus of said buttons that I have no idea what they are or how to access them. So if I had to guess, I'm probably maybe, maybe working 40% capacity of what the cars can actually do. I'll go one better than that, yeah. I reckon. With with, with modern car, and this is the thing, yeah, you brought up a really good point. Mm. Not so much with the hard buttons, mm. but when you're talking about menus and sub-menus and sub-sub-sub-menus on navigational screens... Mm. I'm probably using 5% of it. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you're going into, you get a car and you got, there's a screen, it does everything. They say it's all, all, all in there. Mm. When you've got to go through like four or five layers to, yeah, yeah. to do, and a, and a classic that- example with the, uh, the, I don't think it happens now, but on the, uh, the, the Porsche Cayenne and the Panamera, you've got to go through about three layers to move the air conditioning vents because yes. they're electric. But that's there's, the new ones, right? VW. I think, I think they've phased that out now. Yeah. I think they've just done an yeah. update on yeah. VW because they got so much criticism for it. Yeah. It was crazy. And mm. that style of thing, like you go into five sub-menus to move the seat forward. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So you know, And it's dangerous because you're distracted. Yeah, I was driving a mm. golf through Italy when I was at the Millimilia, the uh, Italian Millimilia, and we were trying to adjust the temperature because it gets a little cold <laughs> in the night. And the button, it had a hard button for the temperature, but it's a touch thing, but it was not lit at night. So you're just feeling around at the dashboard, hoping to hit the button that actually adjusts the temperature. <laughs> opening the boot. And In the pitch black Italian auto switching yeah. on the wipers, Probably yeah. opening the boot, probably doing everything. But yeah. I was going to say go to classic cars. Classic cars have so few buttons. But yeah. a friend of mine had a car for a Hillman Avenger that he had for years that he insisted ran better with the choke slightly out until I pointed out it wasn't the choke, it was the bonnet release that he had slightly pulled <laughs> it's out. It was running and, cooler then, wasn't he, it? He was, he, was, he was convinced, and it, it just had a bit of play in it. He was convinced it ran better. And it all cars did. aren't yeah. that much better. If you get an i11, try to find the sunroof, uh, the power sunroof, it's mm. somewhere under the dash instead of being near the roof or anywhere where it should be. So you've got to feel it. Again, it's not marked. It's not it's there. It's okay. I grew up driving old Peugeot. Do that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, not, not, not many buttons there, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so anyway, that's uh, that just about wraps it up. We've got, uh, as I said, motorsport is big right now, so uh, we're gonna going to head out on? to the yeah. Autodrome, hey, see what's out there. Um, you're sticking around for a few more weeks, Crush. So we've got, there's, uh, there's a historic race meeting happening as well. Historic you... meeting, a Porsche event, uh, Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, obviously the last round of the championship. Uh, Vegas happens in between then. Obviously, we'll be keeping an eye on that, watching your... Uh, 
coverage of that, and um, yeah, then head home for head home for Christmas. So uh, another uh, couple of weeks just uh, meeting a few people and having a look around and enjoying myself. Yeah, got to get your thoughts very quickly. Uh, obviously, being a former US resident, what do you think of uh, the the prospect of F one running around Vegas on the streets? Oh, look, it's exciting, right? And then obviously they're trying to they're trying to pump up the US side of the business, the new owners, and all that type of thing. You, know, you got Miami, you got Texas, now you got Vegas. Um, it's a place I'd be avoiding, right? Yeah. Hence the reason I'm here and not there. I got you know <laughs> lots of offers to go and, and hang out. I love Vegas and I and I love F1 at a certain stamp, but mixing the two, uh, I think it's I'll let it sort of go through its first little teething problem, then go and maybe go and enjoy it. But I think it's going to you know produce a hell of a spectacle, um, yeah. and um, I think globally it'll be it'll be great for the sport and it'll be a great lead into Abu Dhabi as the, as the season finale. Yeah, yeah. Well, you and you and I have had a street circuit uh, in Vegas, but we won't go into. We'll, that we'll story. talk about that off. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I, think um, that's, I think that's one for later. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. A, that was an interesting week. Um, but <laughs> but uh, but of course, Vegas here it's breakfast time, so it'll be uh, it'll be on at like eight thirty, nine thirty in the morning here. So uh, or all that will be uh, great to tune into. But for our next live show for Motor Mania, will be on November twenty fourth, and we'll be broadcasting live from Icons of Porsche down at the Dubai Design District. Last year, over fifteen thousand people turned up for it. So really, you do not want to miss out on that one. Porsche will be displaying some of their best models. Uh, you might meet a couple of F1 legends. Last year we had Mark Webber in the studio on the show. He was there. Jackie X was down there as well. So I'm keen to see who's going to uh, turn up this year. And I believe there's going to be a world reveal or two happening as well. A couple of regional launches happening Big, big stuff. You're all invited to join us. We'll be down there live from uh, from from 10 till 12 on the Saturday. And if you do want to get down to Icons of Porsche, it's free for everyone, but you do have to uh, register to uh, to get in. Very simple, www.iconsofporsche.com. Get your free ticket and you're straight in the door for you and your whole family. Um, but that's about it for, for today. So thanks, uh, thanks, Sim the Shan. Thanks, Noel. Thanks, Brett. No thanks for Thank coming. You. Thank you. And uh, that's been uh, Motor Mania. We'll see you in two weeks' time. Bye for now.